Good morning. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I had a confession to make. Uh, often when I'm listening to a message, I have, you know, deja vu and amnesia at the same time. I'm often <laughs> distracted by where have I heard this before, because sometimes we slip into that, you know, I've heard this before, and it's kind of dangerous to do that. And sometimes, you know, we forget. Uh, apparently, human beings forget 90, 80, 90% of what we hear. Um, unless you're Dave. Dave remembered an illustration from mine from five years ago. So Dave, Dave has a great... Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we have to be careful with not forgetting. But I, I've been praying that today we will have, you will have some illumination, uh, something that we hear from God's Word will encourage you or convict you or give you some practical uh, tools for how we live our Christian life. So that's been my prayer. Um, my title this morning is Understanding Your Identity in a Hostile World. How do we live as you know, aliens, soldiers, ambassadors? Um, we all know we live in an increasingly godless world and society. And we can, as believers, either you know, shake our heads and wring our hands and um, watch the world go by, or we can be asking, how are we to live differently from the world in this increasingly godless world so we have impact as Christians. We all want to have impact as Christians. So this morning I wanted to share three perspectives about our God-given calling in these challenging times in a hostile world. And, you know, it's it's easy to overcomplicate the Christian life, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you can turn there, uh, Peter gives us Three simple commands in two verses that I wanted to go over today. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, we're going to focus on verses 11 and 2. <clears throat> and he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the men who have come out as we look into your word. Lord, pray that you would uh, remove the distractions from our minds and help us to uh, learn from your word this morning. Speak to us, Lord. Help me to be clear and pray that we would be encouraged in our faith, built up in our faith perhaps even be convicted about how we should live in this hostile world as believers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So in these, in these two short verses, uh, we see three God-given identities which are central to a God-centered, future-focused, gospel-centered living. And these three identities summarize how we need to live different from the world. Uh, some background, when we look at a couple of verses, it's easy to take them out of context. So always look at them in context of what the writer is saying. So in, in, in this chapter, in this, in this book, Peter is addressing persecuted Christians, both the Gentiles and Jews, living in Asia Minor, so Turkey and those parts of the world. And if you look up, if you scan through the previous verses in chapter 2, he is addressing them first as a collective, as a group. He says in uh, verse 9, chosen race, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you're God's people, you're recipients of mercy. And based on who they are in these verses, and as you go down the rest of chapter 2 or chapter 3 and so on, 
he addresses how they should live. So their identity informs their conduct. How we live is defined by who we are. And Peter is reminding them about this. And why does he write to them, and why is this applicable to us today? Um, one of the reasons he writes is that these uh, Jews and Gentiles are being persecuted and maligned in many ways. Um, so they are living in a difficult part of the world um, because as brothers and sisters, they were partaking in the Lord's Supper, for example. They were you know, partaking in the blood and body of Christ. They were accused of being cannibals, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, because they said, Christ is Lord, not Caesar, which was the common, uh, you know, who you worship back in the day, they were accused of being insurrectionists. Because they greeted each other with a holy kiss and they called each other brother and sister, they were being accused of incest. All kinds of craziness was going on. And they were being accused of many things that they were not. And this is true even today. As Christians, we are often uh, called things we are not. Hateful, bigoted. Uh, not inclusive, narrow-minded, exclusive in our views. And as Peter reminds them, we, we need to be reminded that our identity in Christ drives how we ought to live in a hostile world. Um, and the reason I picked this, this, uh, this passage and these verses is I was listening a few months ago uh, to Paul David Tripp. Uh, when I go for my walks in the morning, I listen to him a lot in, the, in Saturday mornings. And in his teaching, he called out three perspectives that all believers need to have about who they are. And so I'm borrowing his three points. Definitely listen to his message. I think in my handout, I put the reference to his message. But I, I've, I've taken his three points and framed them differently. Uh, but the three statements I want to look at from these two verses are, number one, as believers, we need to think like an alien. Number two, we need to fight like soldiers. And number three, we need to live like ambassadors, right? So I'd like to look at each of these and understand what it means and how it applies uh, to our lives with some practical application. So number one, in verse 11, think like an alien, he starts by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, right? And some translations, I don't know what your translation uses, use the word aliens or pilgrims. Um, and the word sojourner means someone who lives alongside, um, uh, makes a home or lives alongside a person. And so it refers to a person living in a foreign land alongside people who they are not a part of, right? And you're living there for a short time. So you, as a believer, are living alongside uh, citizens of this world, but you yourself and I am not a citizen of this world. Because why? Because we are citizens of heaven. And uh, Paul, in Philippians 3.20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a citizen of heaven... That makes you an alien here, right? We are not of here. Uh, Ephesians 2.19 reminds us, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Again, we are aliens and strangers here, but we are citizens of heaven. And uh, in the last two years, you know, I have known so many people who have passed on from this world, all age groups, young kids. I had two friends my age pass very suddenly last year. And all the more to me, it has become evident that in this world is passing by. Like the song we just heard, life is a vapor, right? It's passing by, and we are only temporarily earth dwellers. Um, in the, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in the United States, there is a term, it's a tax term and an immigration term called resident alien. Uh, my wife and I had this, had this 
status for many years. So a resident alien is someone who legally resides in this country, enjoys certain privileges, but is not a citizen, right? So I had a different passport. As a resident alien, we live among the people. Uh, we pay our taxes. We are held to a higher standard. Um, anytime we had even a minor traffic ticket, we had to be careful with it. Uh, we followed the laws. And eventually, after almost 16 years in our case, we got in line to become, to become citizens. And the point there is you live life as resident aliens, not knowing if this was ever going to be your permanent home. And so you don't make long-term investments. You sort of travel light, if you will, right? And eventually, we did become citizens. But a period of time, you are in that between the already and the not yet period. And that is the picture here. As followers of Christ, we are all resident aliens. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, but temporarily dwelling and sojourning or journeying towards the heavenly kingdom, like that song said. We are on our way home. We are almost home, but we are not there yet. So some points of application. What does it mean to think like an alien? My wife sometimes reviews, always actually, reviews my notes, and she's like, where are your practical applications? So <laughs> here are some practical applications. What does it mean to be a resident alien or to think like an alien? So number one, thinking like an alien means you will and you should feel out of place in this world. You should be feeling homesick for eternal home. And I, I find as I'm getting older, I feel less and less like I belong here. I, I'm feeling very at home here in the United States after living here for 20 years, almost 20 years. But as far as living in this world and the changing society, I'm, I'm, I feel increasingly out of place. And you should. Um, and if you feel out of place that because of your faith, that's a good thing. And it's the norm. It should be the norm for those of us in Christ. And if you feel the opposite, if you're getting comfortable with the world and feeling more in love with the world, you need to reevaluate your understanding of your identity and your calling as a Christian. So number one, thinking as in, like an alien means not completely feeling at home, home here, right? Number two, thinking like an alien means living for the destination, not for the journey. Uh, so don't live like this is your future home. Live lo holding loosely to earthly things. Someone said the measures of success that apply to earth dwellers, that's not us, education, size of homes, number of cars, value of your retirement accounts, professional success, uh, position in society, none of that should define who we are. Now, those things may be a blessing given to God to us, but they are given to us so we can use them for God's kingdom. They are a means, not an end. So hold loosely to these things. Thinking like an alien means putting your citizenship in God's kingdom above whatever earthly citizenship we may hold. Um, now, I say, this, I say this carefully because I am I'm very thankful for the citizenship that my wife and I enjoy here in the United States. We don't take it lightly. Uh, we are blessed. We have been incredibly blessed. America is a, a great country of freedom, innovation, um, just so many resources that I think not everyone who necessarily is born here even appreciates it. I remember when my wife and I a few years ago when we went to our uh, ceremony where we became citizens, there were probably about 800 people in the hall there, but 45 countries. And I realized how valuable and seriously they take becoming a citizen and how much they appreciate it coming from different lands where maybe they don't have the freedoms that we enjoy here. So 
I definitely appreciate it, and I'm, I'm sort of very proud of the, of the citizenship. But that said, um, you know, the, the church in America is blessed with freedoms materially, with resources. I believe this is one area believers in other countries that have persecution, they probably have a better understanding of putting citizenship in heaven above their earthly citizenship because they don't enjoy the kind of freedoms we do, right? And for them, sometimes their earthly citizenship is nothing but a burden, and it's getting in the way of their worship. So um, for them, the heavenly citizenship is, is in many ways something they hold on to. Uh, Paul Washer, in a message recently, he said this. Uh, I think this was a uh, uh, chapel service at Master Seminary last week. I was watching part of it uh, a couple of days ago. He said this in context to believers going through persecution all over the world. He said this, I am a citizen of a certain country, and I want to be loyal. But my people, my people are African, Afghani, Chinese, Iranian, Russian, we have mothers, brothers, fathers, sisters, sons, and daughters all over the world. Everyone who calls upon, a, upon the name of the Lord is my family and my fellow citizens and part of the same commonwealth. So what he's saying is putting your citizenship in God's kingdom uh, is more important than whatever earthly kingdom. You know, both are important, but he's call, asking for us to have a higher calling. So that's the first point Peter is calling us to, thinking like an alien, living for the world to come, and, and, our, and our heavenly citizenship. Uh, number two, he talks about, in verse 11, fighting like a soldier. This is our second calling. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And as you know, the Bible uses the metaphor of war to describe the battle our new man, who we are in Christ, wages against the flesh or the body or the tent that we are in, right? And Steve teaches about this a lot, which is, which is uh, so helpful to us. What it means is that our fleshly man is constantly waging war against the new man. So the power of sin has been defeated, but the presence of sin remains because we dwell in this earthly tent. John MacArthur writes about this. He says, you see, because our souls are saved and because we have received a new heart and because we have been washed and because we have been regenerated, there is a newness in us. But as we have noted in the past, it is incarcerated in our unredeemed human flesh. And that's why we have a spiritual battle, because the new man in us is battling the flesh. Galatians 5.17 tells us, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul in Romans 7 uh, verses 15 to 20, um, I empathize with what he's saying a lot. He sounds perplexed when he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, for what I hate, I do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me, right? So he's talking about this constant battle. And D.L. Moody once said this, I have, more, I have had more trouble with myself than with any other man. And that's a recognition we all need to have, right? We often look at other people, and, but we, are con we need to take care of ourselves first because that's where the problem starts. Now, if you feel here this morning, this doesn't describe me. I don't have a problem with sin. Um, 
Here's what Paul says in Galatians 5.19. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft. And maybe you're saying, hey, I don't have a problem with witchcraft. He goes on. Hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. You can ask my kids about that sometimes. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. And he ends with things like these because this is not a complete list, right? There are many more things. So if I look at this and stop at the first couple and like, I am not into witchcraft, there's always something in the things like these that apply to my life. So all of us deal with this. All of us have the new man battling against the flesh. So some points of application. Fighting like a soldier means understanding every day is a war. You have to understand every day is a war. Your new person in Christ battles against the human flesh and its desires. Um, people often talk about spiritual warfare, you know, happening somewhere out there, uh, out there in the universe, right? And um, I don't know if you remember when I was when I was a teenager, um, there was a writer called Frank Peretti. I don't know, Steve, if you remember. And I was captivated. Someone gave me a book, and basically the premise of the book, if I remember correctly, was. There are angels and demons, and there is warfare happening everywhere, and you start imagining like angels sitting on top of your house every day and all of that. And it was entertaining books, I'm sure. But the point is, uh, well, spiritual warfare, warfare is, people say, is happening out there. You fight it in your heart every day, every minute, right? Every day, every minute, every decision. I have to and you have to decide whether to act in a godly manner in your new man or in your flesh. So this starts, you know, dealing with your family, dealing with your kids, with your spouse, um, dealing with unreasonable people at work. Uh, you know, when you watch TV nowadays, when you watch commercials, right? Uh, when you're on your computer by yourself, when you're in the mall, uh, when you see things that other people have that you don't have. All of those points in life are, are a point where we have to decide whether we act in the flesh or we act in the new man. And sin is in our face every day. Um, John Bunyan, one of history's greatest Christian authors, um, we all know his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, but he had other books, obviously, he wrote. He wrote of a story of a fierce battle to take control of a city for its, from its rightful ruler. And this famous allegory, I was reading this article by this guy called Stephen Davey. Um, it's supposed to be Bunyan's second most popular work, and it's, it's entitled The Holy War. I don't know if, any, if you're familiar with it. I wasn't. Um, and his depiction of the human soul is a city. He calls it man's soul, M-A-N-S-O-U-L, man's soul. And the man's soul has five gates, the ear gate, the eye gate, the nose gate, the feel gate, and the mouth gate. And the, uh, uh, I'm reading from this article, the enemy of the city is sin, who comes on a daily basis to attack at one of its five gates. Sin speaks to the ear gate. He presents a vivid, alluring picture to the eye gate. He tempts the other gates as well. The interesting thing about this battle is that man's soul could never be defeated by outside attacks, and sin could never win in his assault against the five gates except in one way. Someone on the inside has to open one of the five gates and let sin in. In reality, these five gates are not Bunyan's allegoric creations at all. They are for real. Bunyan has grasped what both Paul and Peter understood. The soul of man is destroyed from the inside, not from the outside. 
And this is why Paul urged the believers to stop presenting their members to sin. The word presenting is this military term used in transferring of weaponry or arms. Paul was actually saying, don't let the enemy use your body as a weapon. Don't let the enemy have your rifle or your sword so he can use it against you. Don't leave yourself unarmed. Don't open the gates. And I'm skipping part of this. But you are in a holy war, Christian, just as John Bunyan said, and you may be your worst enemy. Sin is pounding at each of those five gates, but he can only come in if you allow him in. Sin can't win the battle from the outside. So don't betray your man's soul. By all means, reinforce the boundaries, fortify the walls, bar the gates. So men, have a wartime mentality, as Peter tells us. Fight like a soldier. So that's point number two. Number three, the, the, the other identity that Peter is reminding us here in, the, in, chapter, in verse 12 is live like an ambassador. Live like an ambassador. He says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day of visitations. So if we are residents, if we are citizens of this world and we are resident aliens, that is true, but we are also actively asked and expected to serve as representatives. And a representative is called a ambassador, right? In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And what is the job of an ambassador to represent their country? Someone who represents another country but lives where? Not in their own country, but in a foreign land. And often an ambassador mediates or acts as between their home country and the country they live in to bring peace, to have good relationships, and to reconcile the relationship between his country of citizenship and the people of the nation um, he or she lives in. So our main job here, in addition to thinking like an alien and fighting sin in our hearts as soldiers, is to be ambassadors. Our job is to be ambassadors and uh, our ministry is reconciliation. Um, here are some practical application uh, points here. What does it mean to live like an ambassador? Living like an ambassador means we are to demonstrate good deeds that match our faith. As we know, good deeds don't save us, but they demonstrate that we have been regenerated and, and, and it gives glory to God. Uh, living like an ambassador means we are also called to reject behaviors and deeds that don't match our faith, right? So at one, one hand, we do deeds that attract people to, to God or ask, they, they ask us, why do you act differently? But we also need to reject behaviors and deeds that don't match our faith, right? So we don't have the same speech. People should notice that you don't use the same language as most people do. Uh, we don't use the same language. We shouldn't be breaking the laws. Uh, we shouldn't be, we are the ones who shouldn't be any, cheating on our taxes. We shouldn't be cutting corners at work. Uh, one of my observations at the job that I'm at now, uh, I work with globally with 15 different locations, all sides of countries, all, all parts of the U.S. Uh, my team is spread all over, the, all over the world. But I noticed that the office with what is one of the most lazy reputations happens to be in the Bible Belt. I don't know what the co connection is. Um, and what a sad testimony, right? And I know some of the people there are believers. We have talked. 
And somehow that office has this reputation that they're kind of slackers. So we need to be ambassador with our deeds, right? With how we live, how we profess our faith, how we work, how we follow laws, all of those things. Um, living like an ambassador means we embrace truth and reject lies. And today's world, even half-truths, right? And social media is a big problem now. There is so much on social media. Some is true, some is false. Some is honestly hard to tell if it's true or false, right? And nowadays, anything is possible. But is everything true? No. The only thing that's really true in this world is God's word. And we don't know. So, you know, ambassadors are often called diplomats. Why are they called diplomats? Because they, they don't necessarily say what they're always thinking about. They're very careful with their words. And I think about a lot of things in my head. But in the interest of being an ambassador, um, I don't have to constantly spew out what I'm thinking, right, to the world. So as, as ambassadors, we need to be wise in our words, use discernment, whether it's in speech or in social media, online. All of those are opportunities to live as ambassadors. Uh, living as an ambassador means as we live in a hopeless world, we are always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that we have. We live in a, hope that, in a world without hope often, right? And ultimately, being an ambassador means when people come to us, they see that we have hope for the future in spite of everything going on. And we want people to ask us about the hope and to be able to share this hope. So be an ambassador for Christ by sharing the hope we have in Christ. And the last point here for practical application, living like an ambassador means using our homes, and I mean our physical homes, as an outpost for Christ. Uh, many years ago I heard um, on Family Life Today when I used to drive to work back in the day when we used to, I used to commute, um, a program on Family Life Today about using your home as an embassy, as an embassy. And it sounded strange initially, but what the person was saying is that God has given us homes, not just as a refuge or a fortress. It is also an embassy where we are an outpost in wherever community we are. And I think practically just speaking, we can all get better at opening up our homes you know, as, as ambassadors, as an embassy, and not leading insular lives. Um, you know, this is something... Not to, not to embarrass Steve, I think you know, Steve and his wife have set a very good example in our church. I remember coming here for the first Sunday many, many years ago. They took me out to lunch, and we went, I think we went to an Indian place in San Mateo. And uh, you know, they, they have set an example, opening up the homes for the holidays, for Christmas and Easter, and some of us have learned from it, and we have done the same, right? So it's a great opportunity to open up your home as an embassy. And my point with that story is, like, I think some of us have wives to whom this comes naturally, right? Uh, my wife ends up committing two weekends a month to having people over, to having things going on in our home. And honestly, sometimes I get annoyed with it. I'm like, I just want a weekend where I'm not having to clean or to cook or do other things to get ready to host because I've had a busy week. Even yesterday, we were supposed to have... Uh, a get-together, a fellowship in someone else's home. They felt sick, so my wife was like, guess what, everyone's coming over tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't do this, I'm teaching tomorrow. <laughs> so, but then I have to remind myself, you know, ultimately our home is an embassy. It's a place of outreach, not just a place of rest. And missions is not just sending a check to someone in a foreign land once a few, you know, a few times a year. It is about in, in your home as well. So that is a very practical application I thought about living like an ambassador. It means 
treating our homes as embassies. So men, think about how you use your home, make it an embassy, not just a fortress. So that's the third point there. So Peter talks about these three points about thinking like aliens, fighting like soldiers, uh, living like ambassadors, and there are some overarching truths that apply to these commands or this way of life, and I just wanted to go through these quickly. The inner life, number one is your inner life drives your outer life, right? So how you think, how you fight sin in your inner man, in your heart, translates to how you express your witness. You can't be an effective ambassador unless you first fight like an alien, and sorry, fight like a soldier and think like an alien. So we need to get our inner life in order if you want your outer life to have impact. So to be a good ambassador, first you need to address your inner life. That's number one. Number two, you can't pick and choose one of these three identities. That choice is not given to us. So I can't say, you know, Michael, Mario, you guys are outgoing, social. You take care of being ambassadors. I'll go live on top of a mountain and, you know, think like an alien. That, that doesn't work, right? So God has not given us that choice. Uh, I don't get to pick and choose. We can't divide these roles among us. All of us need to embrace these three God-given callings. And an illustration I thought of was, Think of it as, as you are a soldier stationed in another land, a hostile land, and then you're appointed as an ambassador. So put, to put it in today's terms, you are a soldier, you're sent to Afghanistan to, to fight evil there for the next 20 years. That is never going to be your home. You're going to live there, and then you get a phone call and they say, guess what? We don't have an embassy there anymore. You are going to be our ambassador. So you're going to live there as an alien, you're going to fight as a soldier, and you are going to be the ambassador for our country. And the reason you do that is you want to offer hope to the people of the land and tell them about a better way of life. At the same time, you need to battle the evil there and represent your own home country's values and way of life. So that's, I thought that was an interesting way to think about it. And finally, why are we even studying this? Um, why must we live this way? In verse 12, Peter tells us, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So our end goal of thinking and, and embracing these identities in Christ is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God, right? And what does that mean? Make the name of Christ large or magnified. So we are to think like aliens for the glory of God. We are to fight like soldiers for the glory of God. And we have to live like ambassadors for the glory of God. Now, in this world, not everyone will glorify Christ right now, but we know one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So that day will come when everyone will glorify Christ one way or the other. So how do we live this out practically in our lives? I know I went over some practical applications, and you may be thinking, Peter, this is tough. This is a challenging, difficult task for me. You want me to think like an alien all I do. You want me to fight my sin every day. You want me to live like an ambassador. Man, this is a high calling. It's hard. And we don't have to do this on our own, thankfully. And Hebrews reminds us to look to who? To Christ, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Jesus Christ has already done these things for us. How has he done this? Number one, Christ became a stranger and alien for us. He became the ultimate sojourner for us. So if you think about it, Christ leaves his heavenly throne, comes to earth, takes on earthly flesh, no place to lay his head, borrowed crib when he was born from animals, 
um, borrowed home everywhere he went during his ministry, borrowed tomb, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. So Christ became a sojourner of sojourners so that we could become citizens of heaven. So Christ is our ultimate sojourner. Christ is our ultimate soldier. How do we know that? He fought the battle for us. He fought sin. He conquered sin and death. He lived in the human flesh like us and was tempted as we are, but was without sin, right? So he did all of this as our substitute because we could never live a perfect life. So we could never battle sin. And as Paul reminds us, we were dead in our trespasses. So he, Christ, won the war as our ultimate soldier. And last here, Christ is the ultimate ambassador, right? 2 Corinthians 5.18.20 tells us, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So Christ is the first and ultimate ambassador whose work on the cross reconciled us to God. And in turn, what does he do? He asks us to become ambassadors for him so that men and women everywhere may be reconciled with him. So men, this morning, hopefully that was helpful. I want to remind us that we need to look to Christ, our ultimate pilgrim and sojourner. We need to look to Christ, our ultimate soldier and our ultimate ambassador. Um, He's the only one who can help you carry out the responsibilities of these three commands. And uh, we need to, each of us, be asking him, you know, what areas uh, we need help to live out these commands. It's certainly not easy. So if you want to take one thing away, like I said, we, we, we don't always remember everything we hear when we listen to messages. If you remember one thing to take away, remember to live and have impact in a hostile world, these three statements, as aliens, live with the eternal mentality, as soldiers live with the wartime mentality, and as ambassadors live with the gospel mentality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for today and for your word um, and for the reminder, Lord, that of who we are in Christ. Um, As we seek your will and look for direction and how to live in this increasingly hostile and godless society, Lord, that we would look to you and your word. Lord, we would have our eternal mindset. We would, we would understand that we are citizens of another kingdom, that we are resident aliens here for a short time. Lord, that we would fight our sin as soldiers um, daily in our lives, Lord, in all our decisions, big and small, we would look to you for strength. And Lord, that ultimately we would also be representatives in the world. You have not called us to isolate from the world. You've asked us to not be of the world, but to be in the world, Lord. So help us to be ambassadors for you and to share the hope that we have in Christ that the world so desperately needs. I thank you for everyone who has come out. Pray that you you would use this message to build us up in our faith, to convict us, to strengthen us, and to make us day by day more like you, Lord. And we pray for the rest of our day that you go before us and pray that we would have a a good time of worship and growing tomorrow as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. amen.